0: Good morning, church family. Uh, just wanted to start off by saying that I miss all of you so, so much. Uh, as God has been working in me and in my heart, I hope he's been working in you, helping us realize the importance of meeting together, uh, not just to see each other, but um, to serve and love each other. Um, I also hope that we haven't squandered this time, but have used it to grow closer to our God who desires for us to know him more and more. And as Psalms 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. My prayer for myself and the church is that we take this more seriously in our lives, and that we literally meditate on the word of God day and night. That we're constantly thinking about him. After all, he is our perfect, amazing father. Which means me to say happy Father's Day. First of all, I'd like to shout out my Pops. Um, He's an amazing, real, authentic person. Uh, Most of my friends growing up called him Chris Angel or they thought he was a rock star. But to our church congregation, he's known as Pastor Arnold, although he doesn't mind being just called Arnold. Specifically, lately, Pops, um, thank you for listening to me talk to you about the Bible for hours, um, about the Bible project, um, about all the ideas I have for our church, Um, you're always willing to listen. And above all, I love your heart and willingness to learn. Um, I hope to be a man like you, uh, a husband like you, and a father like you, because you are always trying to be like our Heavenly Father. And to all the other men who have been father figures in my life, which there are a ton of you throughout this church, and to all my friends who are fathers and are setting an example for me, thank you. Um, Know that you don't go unappreciated. Uh, To all the fathers, stepfathers, fathers-to-be, I even want to include fathers to the fatherless and to those of us who can't have children. Uh, We want to say Happy Father's Day to you and that I pray that God will open up the doors for you to have children, whether it's natural birth, foster care, or adoption. uh, We thank all of you for your heart, your commitment, your strength, your leadership, and for being the good sport about being the subject of a lot of jokes, as the video we just saw before this. You see, committed and invested fathers are a rare breed, which is really sad. And according to the US Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than 1 in 4, live without a father in the home. Research shows that when a child is missing his or her father, they have 4 times greater risk of poverty, They're 7 times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, um, 2 times greater risk of infant mortality, 2 times more likely to drop out of high school, they are more likely to face abuse and neglect, they are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol and they're more likely to commit crime and more likely to go to prison. If this doesn't make your jaw drop, I don't know what will. There is a need, and it is a huge need for fathers not only to stick around, but to be involved and invested in their child's life. A month ago, Pastor Arnold was in the same spot, talking about how mothers need to invest wisely by investing in their children. And the same goes for fathers. It isn't enough to be a provider or to just be at home taking up space. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes emotion, it takes patience, and I could go on and on, but being a father, being a parent is not easy work. Now, of course, I don't have children, but I am a teacher, and I have worked with students from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade, and let me tell you, most of the time, I can tell which students have parents who are invested in their lives. Psalms 127 and 128 speaks about the home and the family unit, and scripture is clear that the husband-father figure is the head of the home, just as Christ is the head of the church. The husband-father is to be moral, spiritual leader in the home. This absolutely doesn't mean that men are more important, we all know that. They're not more valuable, they're not better or smarter, it is simply their function. And we're all created equal, male and female, but we have different roles here in the family unit and on earth. I also just want to take a quick second, with that being said, to speak to all the single mothers. Even though you aren't a male or technically a father, you are the head of the home with the absence of a father figure. We thank you for staying the course with your children and pray that God give you the strength to lead your home. And church, big one, this is not only an opportunity, but it is your duty to help out those without a father. To be a father figure and help out your community. That's what the church is for, right? 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Ephesians 5.22-23 says, Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body, which is followed by, in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that he might be present, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So husbands, fathers, you have a call to lead and to love. And this isn't only for a husband's wife, but it is for a father's children. You see, God has ordained two great institutions here on earth, the home and the church. And I would argue that the home is arguably most important because a great home life led by a great father leads to a great church equipped and ready to do the work of our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. Fathers, you have a huge job, a big, big job. You have a God-ordained duty to lead your house. And I will say this, if your wife and her children are studying and reading the Bible more than you, praise God, but you need to do some work. And as the head of that home, you need to be constantly in God's Word, daily seeking Him, asking God to come into your being and then take control to lead the way that he wants you to lead. Again, as Psalm 128 says, a God-fearing man who walks in God's ways will impact his wife, which will then impact his children. It starts with you. Now, just to be fair, moms, it's also your job to read God's word and be spirit-filled. And children, it's also your job to read God's word and be filled with the spirit. Could you imagine a family unit where everyone wakes up, sees their father open up the word of God, read it out loud, pray, and then everyone else follows. Wow. I know there's no such thing as a perfect family, but try that and I know for a fact God will shake up your home. When we are absolutely immersed with God, his spirit takes over and we begin to imitate him. Ephesians 5 says, "Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved." You and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And Paul continues later on, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Being a good husband slash father doesn't come from a self-help book. It doesn't come from opinion or theory. It comes from being in God's Word, and in turn being filled with God's Spirit, and letting Him take control. So that when your wife and children deserve retaliation, you speak love and kindness. When the home is chaotic and crazy, you bring peace and order. And when wrong is done, you bring loving correction and forgiveness. And again, all this requires action. Fathers are to do more than just be present in the home. They need to be active in the home. Now today, I don't want to give you four steps on how to be a better father. One, I'm not a father, so I don't know if I have the credibility to say that. But I also don't think the Bible really works in that way. And instead, I want us to examine God, our Heavenly Father, so that we can see how we should be through His story. And I think the best way we can be godly children, godly mothers, godly fathers, godly people, is to look at our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. The title of today's lesson is The Father's Heart, and we will be in Luke chapter 15. And although we'll spend most of the time in the parable of the prodigal son, we have to read the whole chapter to understand the context of the parable. In fact, we should really read all the other chapters before it, but we don't have enough time today, so we're just going to focus mainly on chapter 15. So in chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables in this chapter. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. Let's read. Uh, chapter 15 now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him both the pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying this man receives sinners and eats with them so he told them this parable saying what man among you if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it when he when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Notice the theme of sinner versus righteous. In the previous chapters of Luke, Jesus has been calling out the righteous or the social elite, reminding them that they're no better than the sinner and that there is no social elite in his kingdom. Let's move on to the lost coin. Verse 8, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me again, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents." Now, we see two themes in these first two parables, some kind of lost item, the sheep and the coin, and the lost item being found, which leads to rejoicing, right? And Jesus is bringing to light the lost person, one who is a sinner, being found and resurrected from death to life. And Jesus tells two parables in a row with one more to follow, or at least Luke writes them in this order so that they build off of each other to create a common theme and an idea which will all build a climax in this third parable of the prodigal son. And we should expect something a little different in this parable. So keep your eyes out as we read. Verse 11, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country and there he squandered his estate with loose living now when he had spent everything a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he, he sent him into his fields to feed the swine and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving him anything but when he came to his senses He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, this is awesome. His father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But, the, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet... You have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth and pro- with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So powerful. Now, Jesus wasn't just a moral teacher teaching and explaining moral and theological ideas who decided to use parables to do that. The parables are something much more than that, and they are much more focused. And one main theme of his parables, and the one of these, is how his upside-down kingdom comes and how it will look, which is not a geographical or political kingdom, but a value system, The reign of the living God here on earth through His people living as Christ. And we know this as Christians or the church. This is why we aren't called to go to the church only, but we are called to be the church. And this is a huge theme of Jesus. That the kingdom of God is here, it's now. It's through Yahweh's people living in such a way that is totally and radically different from any other society, culture, or country. And he's using these parables to show that there's no social elite in his kingdom. That all are equal. All need the grace and love of the Father. But oftentimes, we see the kingdom of God as the way it actually isn't. And this was the case during Jesus' life. And he uses these parables to explain what it should look like. So let's continue. As we examine the parable of the prodigal son, there are a few main characters that I want us to keep in mind. The younger son the father, the inheritance, and the older son. Now, if you know anything about the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, there's built tension when it comes to an inheritance with a younger son. And while Jesus is telling the parable of the prodigal son, I think it's safe to say that the Pharisees and scribes were thinking of the story of Jacob and Esau and the stolen inheritance. It catches their attention. So Jesus starts this parable with a younger son who brings bad things upon himself, which is different than the lost coin and the lost sheep. Right? They aren't blamed for being lost. The younger son basically comes up to his father and asks a very shameful claim and says, hey dad, you know that thing that you'd give me once you died? Yeah, I want all of it and I want it now. And how does the father respond? He does it! Which leads us to our first point. Number one, the father's sovereignty. Notice how the father was first of all approachable for his son's request but also even though his son's request was so disrespectful, he allows his son to do as he pleases. And this reminds me a ton of how Yahweh is. How often do we come to God and demand things from him or do things in the wrong order because we want it. And he allows it to happen. It's his sovereignty in play. And as a father, you shouldn't see this as allowing or permitting your kids to do whatever they want, but there's a sense of approachability from the father in this parable and a willingness a willingness to let his son make the choices for himself even though he knows what his son is doing is wrong. He doesn't seem too concerned with controlling his son's actions, but allowing his son to make this choice in order to show his grace, mercy, and love. And we can parallel the story with the first humans, Adam and Eve. God gives them everything they need and tells them one thing is off limits, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gives them a choice. Hey, rely and trust only me for what is good or don't trust in me and try to decide for yourselves what is good and evil and we know the story adam and eve decide that they want to be like god and distinguish what is good and evil for themselves which is an act of mistrust disloyalty and sin and how about abraham not trusting god's promised blessing of his son and doing things on his own that just turned out horribly and in this moment of the story The younger son is us. The younger son is humanity. Now notice the language in verse 13. Jesus says that the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Number two is our choice and consequence. Here, Jesus is trying to show us the younger son's self-induced exile from his father's country. He took his father's inheritance and squandered it on wild living. Basically telling his father, I wish you were dead, and leaves his father's home. And the main root of his sin was that he wanted to be his own God. He wanted to make his own choices. And we shouldn't be surprised that this plane of God, or this knowledge of good and evil, or making a name for ourselves, as seen in Genesis, results in an exile to a distant land. We repeatedly see this theme of exile happen in the Hebrew Bible, Adam and Eve's exile from the garden, Cain's exile to the east, the Israelite exile to Babylon, and much more. And this idea of exile means that something went wrong and therefore we are not where we should be. This parable is essentially saying an Israelite's son squanders a generous thing that the father wants to give him in due time, but he wants it now. He sees, he takes, he exiles exiles himself to the land of the Gentiles and finds himself as a slave, starving among the Gentiles. And there he comes to his senses and says, I've made a bad, bad mistake. Jesus is literally activating the story of Israel. Again, we should apply this to ourselves when we exile ourselves from God our Father, when we become slaves to sin, and oftentimes the Bible refers to this exile as death. And we should also notice this when people are not saved and they are in exile. So we should take this to heart, that sin results in exile and... Exile results in death, which is the reason why we absolutely 100% need Jesus, the forgiver of sins, to bring us back from exile to himself, from death to life. Additionally, I want you to notice something. Notice how the younger son compares his exile life to his father's servant's life. He realizes how good they have it, and we should realize that it's better to be a servant of the father than it is to be a prodigal on our own lost in sin. Now pay attention to what happens next and I think this is super key. Jesus explains that in exile, the younger son comes to his senses and realizes that he has sinned against what? Heaven and his father. Now, what this tells me is that the younger son's father had to have been doing something right. He could, He could. how could this prideful young son who took everything and squandered it come to his senses? To the realization of his own sin? if this dad, his dad, had never taught him the ways of Yahweh. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I could, I could be overstretching here, but I think this makes sense. And the father in this parable had to have taught his son about God, because even though his son messes up, he knew where to go and how to repent, turn away and go back to his father's house. So for our fathers here on earth, always equip your children in the ways of our God to be like Jesus, so that even if they are a prodigal, even if they're not saved or they're far from God, they will always remember who he is, and they will always remember our God. And Jesus continues in verse 20 and says that the younger son got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe, and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals and his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. This leads to number three, the father's love. The son now thinks he is unworthy and outside the bounds of his father's love. We feel like that, I'm sure, all the time. But his father runs to him and embraces him, showing true unconditional love. And we shouldn't be surprised about this because repeatedly, repeatedly in the Bible, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is in the business of forgiveness and love. Remember after the flood, after God literally flooded the earth, he says in Genesis 8, man's heart is evil, yet I will never destroy every living thing as I have done. Or how about in Exodus when the freshly rescued Israelite people make a golden calf right after Yahweh has just given Moses the law and he is ready to destroy them and start over with Moses, but he relents. How about Jonah going to Nineveh to preach repentance this horrible place, undeserving of God's love, but fully deserving of his wrath. And what does he do? What does God do? He relented and he doesn't destroy them. And lastly, how about our savior, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh on that cross, which we put him on. And he says, father, forgive them. This is the example of God's amazing, unconditional, no bounds love. See, this parable, in grace, the father would not allow his son's sin keep him from being his son. He covers his sins, his son's sins, with his own robe, bringing him back without hearing a plea for mercy. And again, the father runs to him, a huge no-no for men of his stature at that time, and welcomes his son back home. Jesus introduces this new language that isn't in the first two parables of the chapter, dead to life, or dead and back to life. Making the connection that being lost is equal to exile, is equal to death, and being found is equal to back to life, is equal to resurrection. Also notice that all three parables mention the rejoicing or celebrating of the lost being found, which is something that we should be excited about. Jesus is using This imagery directly for the people who are judging him for offering inclusion to people who are always outside the boundary line. As fathers, how are you when your children sin against you? Obviously, there needs to be correction and guidance, but are you showing love? Are you running to your lost child when they come to their senses? This radical generosity is what separates God's kingdom from our earthly, worldly kingdom. It's the inclusion of the poor, the crippled, the lame, the tax collectors, and the sinners. And as a father, do you have radical generosity as our Heavenly Father does? Again, not to say that there shouldn't be correction, direction, or discipline, because God does that too. but that there's this unconditional love for your family and the people around you, especially your kids. And Jesus is using this story to say that the real party or the real kingdom family is with the people who are out of the bounds who aren't deserving of his love and grace whom the religious leaders excluded Jesus included and this is funny right because according to the scriptures in Romans 3:23 all everyone has fallen short of the glory of god so we're all out of bounds just sometimes we don't see it that way which leads to the older son he's been absent until this part the older son sees and hears the party celebrating his younger brother's return from a hard day's work and won't even go in. He sends a worker to find out for him and becomes angry when he finds out what and who the party is for. And the father comes again out to meet his son, this time the older, and pleased with him, but the older son was too focused on his father being lost rather than his brother being found. And in Jesus' goal is for everyone from the Pharisee to the prostitute to see themselves as the younger brother. But the Pharisees have put themselves on a pedestal or higher status according to the covenant or law. You see, they practice self-righteous obedience. They practice self-righteous obedience. And just like the older brother in the parable, the Pharisees didn't obey the law out of love, but out of selfishness, hoping to gain something from another through good works. And this way of living is just as disrespectful and despising as the younger son's rebellious life. It just doesn't look like that on the outside. Selfish obedience doesn't care about the father. It cares about the father's stuff and says, give me what I've earned, even though earning has never been the father's intention. Just like the 99 other sheep and the nine other coins, they never left. The Pharisees and scribes never left the law, but their hearts were lost. Their hearts were far from the Father. They weren't going to be at the party. And Jesus is speaking to the Jews who were so law-oriented, too occupied with obedience to see a need in their own lives. They couldn't imagine God accepting non-Jewish people who didn't follow the law. Which is, again, ironic, because they couldn't even follow the law fully themselves. They were lost and needed to be found. You see, we can be both the prodigal and the older son, right? We could be both the sinner and the Pharisee. We can know who our father is, demand our inheritance, and run away to never return, or come to our senses and come back to our father's land and be part of the kingdom of God. Or we could be like the Pharisee, the religious elite so focused— on the sinner's sin, and not focused on our own sin, that we are blind to the real love of God. You see, Yahweh and Jesus, represented by the Father in the parable, displays forgiveness of sins as a way to be part of God's new covenant people. People that should imitate God's forgiveness towards each other through radical forgiveness. People that were dead in their sins and transgressions, but now are alive through Christ people of different backgrounds, race, social status, different families to come together as equals before the throne of God enabled by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Through that, we get this diverse group of people living like Christ who make his upside down radical kingdom. And as we read this, we might think, wow, leaving the 99 sheep for one sheep, searching the house for one coin, accepting a son who wished you dead? and spend all the money you gave to Him and finding them all, the lost, and rejoicing? Isn't that a bit excessive? But the truth is, that's our Father's love. It is, it is excessive, it is extravagant, it is true and pure. It's grace so powerful that you don't have to have your life together before God runs to you. He'll change you in His embrace. So be like that dads, be God's love in your family's life and remember what God has done for you. As we wrap this up, dads, ask yourself, am I in the word of God daily, day and night, meditating on it so that I can raise my children up in the ways of the Lord so that they can see the love of the father in me and one day accept Christ as savior of their life and become alive? Am I showing true love by listening to them, correcting and disciplining them, showing them unconditional love no matter the sin, and when they do come back to their senses, will I run up to them with a loving embrace and welcome them back? Fathers, be like Yahweh, love your kids unconditionally, and forgive them as Christ has forgiven you and forgives you. Church, are we being the younger son or the older son of this story? Are we exiling ourselves away from the presence of God only to become slaves to sin and in need of the realization of Jesus? Are we being like the older son who's so focused on our subpar, insufficient, self-righteous acts and not rejoicing out of the bounds of person coming to Christ? To the non-believer, are you tired of being the slave to sin, lost in exile in a world system far from God, full of oppression, division, and hatred. Are you ready to be embraced by the Father who is running after you? Again, Jesus' main concern was establishing his kingdom, a people who live, love, and forgive radically, a people of equal worth and status. So I'll end with this question. Fathers, are you helping in establishing this amazing kingdom of God? Church. Church. Are you helping in establishing this amazing kingdom of God? I hope we all are. And I hope and pray that when the lost coin or lost sheep is found, and when the prodigal returns, we rejoice in the fact that they have been found and that our Heavenly Father is good and just. And all who come to their senses can be in His family, regardless of race, occupation, financial position, or social status, or even religious status as we celebrate our fathers today, may we remember the need for our heavenly father. May we remember that God is sovereign, that even though we once were exiled from our father, he runs to us when we come to our senses with radical, unfailing, unconditional love. Let's pray. Dear father, we thank you for our fathers here on earth. I pray that we understand what it means to be a Christ follower, to be imitators of you, to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. We ask that you give us the strength to meditate on your word day and night, and that the fathers in our church lead their families in the loving way that you have shown us. As today could be sad, we pray for those who have lost their father, that you give them a sense of comfort. We pray for those who can't have children, that you open doors for that to happen and that they can get involved in the community to become a father figure to the fatherless. And I pray for the fathers who have left their families and you, that they would return to them to take on that precious, amazing job of being dad. We thank you, Lord, for being a good, perfect father. May you continue to work in us, and may we soften our hearts to let your spirit come in and take control. May your unending, perfect love overflow in us so that we can show it to our families and community. In your amazing name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Hope this was a blessing. It was a blessing to me. Um, Be sure to join us next week as we continue in James. Have a good week.